Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Tuesday, July 16th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, all the Q2 fundraising numbers are in, Biden suggests a push-up contest against Trump, an update on that whole climate debate thing, and an update on who's already in the September debates. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. Yesterday and into last night, all the primary candidates turned in their fundraising numbers for Q2. Well, that is, those who announced their run prior to July 1st. That means that technically Joe Sestak, who officially filed paperwork on July 1st, and Tom Steyer, who did so on July 8th, both don't have Q2 money to report. Okay, strap yourselves in for those who do have money to report. As we already knew, Buttigieg, Biden, Warren, Sanders, and Harris lead the field in terms of money raised from donors in Q2. Their numbers haven't changed, and they're all doing just fine. So there are lots of ways to look at these numbers. One of them is obvious, just, hey, how much money do people give the candidate in the second quarter of the year? That's most of what we've talked about so far. The other big measure of a campaign's viability is how much cash on hand it has, meaning given all the money they've taken in and all the money they've spent, what's left in the bank. And the final examination has to do with donation size. So for all the money a candidate has raised, how much of it came from so-called small-dollar donors who gave less than $200 versus big-dollar donors who gave, you know, more? The reason we care about that is that there is a $2,800 cap on how much any individual can give to each candidate throughout the primary cycle. So if you have a bunch of donors who've already hit that cap, you can't get any more money from them later in this primary. Over at Politico, Beatrice Jin and Maggie Severns have a running tally of all of this. It's a lot of math and a lot of detail, but their infographic up top tells a lot of the story. It's a running measure of three things. First, how much money came in overall for the quarter. In that number, they're including both donations and transfers that came in from other campaign funds. There are some candidates who still have money in Senate race funds or other places like that, and they are allowed to transfer that in, but they have to label it as such. The second thing Politico tracks is how much money the campaign spent in Q2 against what it brought in. And of course, the logical third thing is how much of a net gain or loss they showed, meaning if they brought in more money than they spent, they added money to their bank account. If not, they lost money overall. So I could run down every single candidate, but we would be here all night, so I'm going to pick out a few standout candidates and review their numbers, plus talk about overall trends. The most obvious trend here is the incredible disparity between the top five, that's Sanders, Buttigieg, Biden, Warren, and Harris, and everybody else. All of those five brought in substantially more than $10 million, and in two cases, Biden and Buttigieg, more than $20 million. They also spent a lot, but all of them put many millions of dollars in the bank. Then, next in line, you have Delaney, who is a very special case in this race. For Q2, he brought in around $200,000 in donations, but poured $7.75 million of his own money into his campaign. Despite all that, he spent all that money and more, ending up with a net loss of $3.1 million for the quarter. Now, that doesn't mean he's out of the race or anything, it just means he has low fundraising numbers from people other than himself, and he is spending super aggressively. Given his personal wealth, that makes total sense. He, like many of the lower polling candidates, needs to show good polling numbers, good donor numbers, and decent name recognition right now, or he lacks a clear path forward in this race. 
Okay, so for me, one of the big questions was about the fundraising for O'Rourke, who was among that top six group in the first debates. If you'll recall, there were six candidates in a 2% and up box, and 14 in the other box. And O'Rourke is the only one in the upper tier box who didn't pre-release his Q2 numbers. Well, now we know why. He raised $3.6 million, which is quite a drop from $9.4 million in Q1. That is very bad. This is a candidate who raised $6 million in his first day, so to make around half of that in 91 days, well, it's rough. To make things worse, O'Rourke outspent what he raised, spending $5.3 million in Q2, leaving him with $5.2 million in the bank. Now, O'Rourke is far from alone in the group in terms of spending money. Here's a list of candidates who spent more than they raised in declining order of how much they raised. Delaney, Booker, Klobuchar, O'Rourke, Inslee, Yang, Gillibrand, Gabbard, Williamson, Hickenlooper, and Messam. That's 11 candidates. Okay, a few more folks who stand out. One is Colorado Senator Michael Bennett, who had previously announced his $3.5 million raise. That is a good number for a low-polling candidate and is right on the heels of O'Rourke, though it does include a $700,000 transfer from his Senate campaign account. Also, Bennett didn't spend much and managed to add $2.2 million to his cash on hand for the quarter. Meanwhile, former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper, by contrast, brought in $1.2 million, spent $1.7 million, and currently has just over 800000 bucks in cash on hand. There were only three candidates who raised less than a million dollars. Ohio Representative Tim Ryan, who brought in $890,000, former Alaska Senator Mike Gravel with $209,000, and Mayor Wayne Messam, who brought in just $50,000. Oh, and technically, California Representative Eric Swalwell also would have been in that club. He raised $878,000 from donors, but dropped out of the race to pursue his house seat again. And that is all for Money Talk today. If you're curious about a given candidate, check that Politico Money link in the show notes and get ready to scroll down to your candidate of choice. The Election Ride Home is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. It's a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash primary. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. And that technology helps you find the right fit. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, Election Ride Home listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash primary. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash P-R-I-M-A-R-Y. One last time, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash primary. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. 
Bite Clear liners are doctor directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm going to keep this next story brief, but I think it's worth noting because your pals around the water cooler might bring this one up. In an interview on MSNBC's Morning Joe this morning, Joe Biden suggested a strategy for defeating President Trump should the two appear on a debate stage together. What is that strategy? Seeing who can do more push-ups. Yes, really. Well, yeah, he was kind of joking, but also, I think Biden really would love to do this, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. Reading here from a Washington Post summary by John Wagner, quote, He was pressed on whether he is tough enough to stand up to Trump, given what many saw as a lackluster performance in the first Democratic debate. Biden acknowledged that some people could have been left with that impression, but said he has never had trouble taking on anyone before. That led co-host Mika Przinsky to ask what he would do if Trump raised the issues of Biden's age and mental state. I'd say, come on, Donald, come on, man. How many push-ups do you want to do here, pal? Biden said. I mean, jokingly, come on, run with me, man. Biden then relayed that he typically runs along the route when he participates in parades, including a recent one on the 4th of July in Independence, Missouri. End quote. Well, okay then, here's a quick reminder, Biden is just three years older than Trump. At press time, I had no count on how many push-ups either man can perform while wearing a suit. Back on June 5th, the DNC told Washington Governor Jay Inslee that it would not hold a single-issue debate on the topic of climate change. Now, I discussed this on the show on June 6th, titled The Climate Debate, if you want to go back and get more details on that. The short version is no DNC climate debate, and the DNC says if a candidate participates in somebody else's climate debate, they will no longer be invited to any DNC debates in the future. Ever since then, a variety of candidates and progressive groups have continued asking for such a debate. For instance, the Sunrise Movement staged sit-ins spanning multiple days at the DNC's Washington headquarters demanding a climate debate. On July 2nd, Dino Grandoni reported in the Washington Post that the DNC was considering the possibility of either a climate debate or a climate forum sponsored by an outside group. The issue is working its way through the DNC system and may be voted on inside the DNC at a meeting in August. Meanwhile, another proposal is on the table. Reading from the Post here, quote, At the same time, the executive committee also wants the resolutions panel to consider another proposal from South Carolina Democratic Party chairman Trav Robertson to hold what it calls a climate forum instead. Such an event would be akin to an abortion rights forum held last month by the political arm of Planned Parenthood, at which 2020 contenders gave speeches but did not directly debate each other. The discussion on Saturday was civil, with every member who spoke emphatic that climate change needs to be a top Democratic concern, according to attendees on both sides of the climate debate issue. End quote. Overall, this issue has been complex. For one thing, most of the primary candidates broadly agree on the issue of climate change, so it's hard to imagine a meaningful debate in which every candidate shares a similar core opinion, but the differences about the magnitude and relative priority of the issue, or perhaps the finer points of really specific policies. If you wanted to have a single-issue debate in which the candidates had major, obvious differences on the merits, you might have it on an issue like health care. So those opposed to this debate have essentially said, 
look, why not have some kind of event in which the candidates can simply discuss this stuff, not debate it, because they largely agree? Enter Gizmodo, which proposed just such an event in a blog post. They announced a presidential climate summit to be held on September 23rd, 2019 in New York City. The event would be co-sponsored by the New Republic, along with backing from a variety of environmental groups. Great. Problem solved, right? Well, then things got weird. The New Republic posted an article by Dale Peck that referred to Mayor Pete Buttigieg as Mary Pete and offered a detailed critique of Buttigieg's sexuality and how that identity is presented within the context of his presidential campaign. After public outcry, the article was quickly yanked from the site, and the New Republic ultimately backed out of the climate summit entirely because the incident had caused a bunch of other groups to back out as well. That summit is apparently still scheduled to happen, but a whole bunch of environmental groups have canceled their participation because of that New Republic incident. Reading from an update posted to Gizmodo by Maddie Stone, quote, The initial reaction to our announcement of the forum was widespread and almost entirely positive, reaffirming our belief that the American public is hungry for an in-depth climate change discussion. We are currently seeking additional media partners who share our values to help foster a robust dialogue. In reaction to the New Republic article, the League of Conservation Voters, NRDC Action Fund, Earth Justice Action, and the Center for American Progress Action Fund have decided to remove themselves from the event. We will provide additional updates as the situation unfolds. End quote. Yeah, so the issue of a climate debate or a climate forum or some other variant has gotten far more complex than it seemed just one month ago. I will, you know, quote, provide additional updates as the situation unfolds, end quote. Last up today, here's one more update on the September debates. 538 ran a piece by Jeffrey Skelly on Friday last week, crunching the numbers. According to that piece, we still have just five candidates who definitely qualify for September and beyond. Those are Biden, Buttigieg, Harris, Sanders, and Warren. Beyond that top five, there are three candidates who meet just the donor threshold, but not the polling threshold. They are Castro, O'Rourke, and Yang. Now, of that three-person list, O'Rourke actually has three polls, so he just needs one more poll, putting him at 2%, and he will qualify for the debate. So that seems like a pretty safe bet. Castro and Yang have just one poll right now, so they need three more. That's probably doable, though it is a heavier lift than what O'Rourke is contending with. Okay, and then you have one candidate who qualifies based on polling alone. That's Booker, meaning he just has to get to that 130,000 donor mark and he is in. He already has four polls locked in. So the wild thing about this is that right now we have nine candidates who are either qualified or have some clear path to qualify right now for that debate. Then you have a bunch of candidates who meet neither threshold, and in fact, all of them, except Klobuchar, have literally zero polling results that count. That's going to be the true problem here because they will need a total of four new polls, putting them at 2% or higher by the end of August. Klobuchar actually has three such polls already, so if she picks up one more poll and gets a bunch more donors, she's in. And reminder, you need both the polls and the donors this time. If you don't have both, you're out. But still, that gets you to 10 candidates total, assuming all five of the folks on the bubble I just mentioned manage to do all that heavy lifting that they have to do. Depending on how you count candidates, there are something like 13 or 14 more candidates who need to make up a ton of ground within the next six weeks. 
There is no August DNC debate, so these folks have some time to do that, but they're going to have to spend a lot of money and work to get their messages out. For those who will appear in the July debate, you can bet they're working on their quotable lines right now in the hope that they get some media exposure and then a polling and donor bump. That is precisely what I would be doing right now in their situation. So stay tuned, as the next six weeks we'll have a ton of stories about which candidates managed to meet those tough requirements for the September debate and beyond. And keep in mind, though that is currently scheduled to be a two-night debate, it could easily be cut back to one night if just a small number of candidates manage to qualify. Well, that is it for one more episode of the Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. All right, it's been a long time since I asked for reviews, and I figure it's a long-standing podcaster tradition that I've been neglecting, so here goes. Hello, fellow listeners. It would help me out if you could go on Apple Podcasts and leave an honest review of this show. I love hearing from you all, and even the not-so-positive reviews, honestly, there's something to be learned there, too. So if you feel moved to do so, I'd love a rating and review, because it helps more people find the show. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.